I'm amazed that I remembered that. Now I have to remember where I started. Hmm. Oh, the word sati. Conventionally translated as remembering, and that's a useful way to think of mindfulness. It's just once we remember, once there's a remembering, you know where you are, know what you're doing, know whether in general or specific what you're experiencing. But a deeper meaning of the word sate is a state. It's a state of being. It's not a doing. It's a state of being lucidly aware, which is natural to each of us. So I want you to just sense how effortless it is to be aware. It's not something you have to create. So it doesn't require physical or even mental tension. The mental, the mental tension may be the, the little effort to reorient yourself after you've been completely absorbed in a cloud or in a in a, absorbed in a thought or th- absorbed in a feeling. But once there is sati, it is, um, it's open, it's relaxed. But the reason I mentioned sati is not because of, of the state of lucid awareness, but because of the, a word that often accompanies the word sati in the suttas and the teachings. And it's the word panya, which many of you who have studied Pali a little bit, the word panya just means wisdom. And I think of wisdom as intelligence, as a kind of intuition, kind of knowing what something is and knowing what it means and knowing what to do about it. That intrinsic in mindful attention, it's often accompanied sati panya, sati panya. Intrinsic in being aware, especially in a sustained way, is an intuition, is a, is a wisdom about how to respond, how to navigate whatever it is that's being noticed. So you understand the context of where you are, you understand the, the, you know, the situation, you understand you have a, both a historical perspective and a very immediate perspective. And out of that, if you are present, you're likely to um, make a more wise, responsive, um, you might more wisely respond to the situation you're in. And why I say that is I I know that with more uh, continuity of attention, which you all have over these few days, you have creatively responded to your situation by finding ways of, of practicing finding a continuity of practice, even in uneven practice conditions, many people dealing with their families, their kids, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, I've been impressed and it just gives me more and more confidence in satipanya, that essential intelligence that is, that is almost embedded in the fact that we when in those moments when we are aware, when we're not aware, there's not much we can do about that anyway, until we wake up again. Uh, so we mostly try to exploit, try to really utilize this natural quality and make it uh, get used to it. Remember, not create it, but get used to it. So even as you listen today, just maybe be one of the things about sati 
being aware is it self-knowing you can kind of know you're aware like wow awareness here kind of cool i don't you may not feel that way about it but i think it's kind of cool because i didn't have to because it's so impersonal in a way it's just right there you are so obviously and clearly known to me and i'm known to you i don't mean known historically or my story but you know that you're seeing me right now so appreciate your practice Most of you all know at this point that today's uh, Dharma topic, gradually going through the, the Satipatthana Sutra, the, the, the teaching on the, on the cultivation of the four foundations of mindfulness, a very essential teaching is one that often gets easily glossed over um, kind of, yeah, ignored, not really well understood. And it is really, to me, one of the juiciest and most exciting elements of the four foundations of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of feeling, Vedana. Vedana is the Pali word for feeling tone, the valence that accompanies every experience. So we have, as I've mentioned the first day, we, experience if you're born the definition of birth the leading cause of experiencing the six um, doors of perception the six senses the five physical senses the eyes the ears the nose the tongue the body and then the one mental sense uh, what we call mind or cog what cognizing thoughts images etc that is the the all that's the totality of our immediate experiences really six experiences in each one of those six experiences uh, let me just digress for a moment our life really is that utterly simple it's six experiences our our stories about our life our dramas about our lives our reactions about our life are very complicated but our life is actually just these an unfolding of these six experiences and there is something for many of us that uh, we may not appreciate at first, but getting more in touch with the simplicity of our life as it's actually being lived, not as it's being thought about, but as it's being lived, it's very simple. And when we get in touch with that, experience it a little bit more. Our nervous system absolutely loves to know that there is in the middle of this big drama of life a simple reality and without knowing that elemental that immediate experience of life we tend to get completely pulled into the the drama of usually the drama of where we've been and the drama of where we're going and we basically blow right past where life actually is and wonder why we feel so emotionally mentally physically dysregulated off and it's because we're, we're missing this um, reality that there are these six experiences. So another thing about those six experiences that every time we have one of them, it comes automatically based on conditioning, 
And it's a little bit different for each person, but everybody has literally almost simultaneously along with the arising of any one of those six experiences in any moment, what comes with it is a little valence, a little coloring of the mind, a little feeling tone, which I know both Booker and uh, Genevieve has spoken about today, that the valence that arises with each of those six experiences is either a valence of pleasantness, it's associated with a pleasant feeling, it's associated with an unpleasant feeling, whatever it is that seen, heard, smelled, tasted, touched, or thought about, even thoughts come with a valence, pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant or unpleasant. Um, and generally, the, when, it, when those experiences arise with a pleasant association, there is um, it's almost lawful that that pleasant feeling tone, especially when it goes unrecognized and unnoticed, it's followed by, I like that. And when it arises associated with an unpleasant feeling, now some, for some people, certain smells, for example, arise and they're immediately associated with unpleasant, but that same smell for somebody else may remind them of their childhood and it arises associated with a pleasant uh, feeling tone. But when it's pleasant, there's a mind immediately follows by um, liking it. If it's unpleasant, immediately followed by um, not liking. And so we're either compelled to to um, like and, and we get involved in the liking of something or we get involved in the not liking. And then if it's neither pleasant or unpleasant, we tend to just ignore it. We tend to get a little complacent and a little just bored maybe even. An interesting part of the teachings uh, that, I, that actually I didn't really start to appreciate until um, many years down the road is is the neutral, the neither pleasant or unpleasant experiences when you start to catch them and you hover a little bit, you linger a little bit with the neither pleasant or unpleasant, that those experiences felt, experienced directly, they open up into, they mimic, they open up into a very, um, uh, a lot of the flavor of what we call equanimity of mind kind of non-reactive mind that's completely open, transparent, but, it, but is not reactive. But unnoticed, we tend to get complacent and bored and dull. So this may not seem that interesting to you. The fact that pleasant, that every experience has either, has with it either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant. But it is that moment that moment of feeling tone and how it is that whether or not we are present for that and whether or not we understand it, it is that moment that is the springboard to the whole drama I just described. The whole drama of our life that plays through our mind, the whole experience of feeling um, satisfied or dissatisfied or lacking or, or uh, uh, whatever it is that, however it is that we think of ourselves, 
And it is in that, it, it is in the way we navigate those feeling tones that we lose, either remain in contact with this reality that is just these simple experiences. We remain both in touch with and interested in the reality of the present moment, or it determines whether we blow by it and uh, then start associating, putting misplaced faith in some experience in the future that never arrives because we forget that time is only and always now. So it is, it's kind of a crucial, and I don't, you know, I don't want you to be scared about it and get tense about uh, catching these moments because you will some and you won't others, but it can just a few of them, a few moments, you to be able to see the difference between what happens when you register an unpleasant moment with full attention and interest, as opposed to when that unpleasant experience goes unnoticed. So yesterday, for some of you may not have been on, on the call with me, I talked about uh, just an example of the wanting mind, the desire um, for some kind of sense pleasure, and then our mind being entranced into thinking, I can't be happy now. This is, and I talked about it in the in the example of what happens sometimes on the retreat called the VR or the Vipassana romance, where someone who you see, you see them and your immediate um, association is pleasant and that association is followed by uh, liking. But you may not appreciate that any moment that we move from just really taking in the the full experience of somebody um, without a lot of mindfulness, from that moment, we're pretty open. We don't want anything. We're pretty, we're complete. You're the richest person on earth, literally. As Thich Nhat Hanh would say, you are the richest person on earth who've been going around begging for a living. He says, stop being the, the destitute child, come home. Reclaim your heritage. So before we get into our reactive patterns, we are, if each of us on present evidence is totally cool, totally fine. Now just notice that before you consult your memory or your plans. But that pleasant person, that pleasant image enters your field of awareness and you're not being so mindful and immediately it's followed by want by liking and we don't realize that liking produces a little charge it's like a little electrical charge something in us goes a little squeeze and then that squeeze starts to discharge a little bit more and what happens typically in the what we call the chain of becoming the chain of of it's classically called paticca samapada, the chain of dependent um, co-arising. When this is here, this happens. Uh, and when this happens, this happens. But anyway, that charge of liking is often followed by wanting. 
and wanting produces even a stronger kind of tension. And the tension's building, the drama's unfolding. And before you know it, that tension has to go somewhere. And so it, it is compelled, it compels us to then start fantasizing. How am I, because we're now at this point, we're already dissatisfied. And somehow we have to relieve that tension. So our mind out of love for ourselves goes into an intense search for um, relief. Wouldn't you, isn't it, doesn't seem natural? I'm going to consummate this relationship. This is the, as I mentioned yesterday, this is the secret to happiness is mating and then dating. And then maybe we'll if we're depending on the age, we'll have children and we'll travel, but your mind can just really go and you can be divorced in three minutes. It's amazing how, how our mind just goes. And really what happened? Nothing, absolutely nothing happened except we went on this intense journey in our mind And we've forgotten that the way of awakening and ease that we really long for, it goes nowhere. And then the same thing with an unpleasant, somebody on the screen or something about the whole form here, and it produces an unpleasant. Some people maybe reacted to being invited not to have their, um, not be drinking tea during the sessions. And, they heard that and it produced an unpleasant association. It felt like childhood being scolded or something. And uh, so that unpleasant feeling is immediately followed by not liking and then not liking uh, created some internal pressure. And before you know it, there was a case for the prosecution being made against the retreat and the teachers and authority in general. <laughs> and we're off, <laughs> we're off and running. And what happened? Nothing, except a moment of unpleasant. So do you think it's useful to catch that moment of, of the pleasantness? I, I thought that I, in my mind, I was going to entitle this little Dharmet today uh, called Breaking the Chain because it's an understanding in the teaching and something one can experience for themselves that if mindfulness arises in that moment and, and catches, happens to catch that moment of pleasantness, is able to just take in the pleasant. Actually, that pleasant is very nourishing, gladdening. And if mindfulness is, is present there, there is no ensuing drama. The chain is cut. That lifetime that one lives in their, in their suspended happiness, waiting for the consummation of a relationship or waiting for the retreat form to change, that whole drama just doesn't happen. If one can just hover, linger a little bit with the feeling of pleasant or unpleasant, and then I spoke a little before about the moments that are neither pleasant or unpleasant. Because when they're unpleasant, when they're neither pleasant or unpleasant, we're, we start inclining toward, uh, toward complacency or dullness or boredom. What does our mind do? Boredom then becomes associated with unpleasant. 
unpleasant, it gets, a, so it gets followed by aversion. And many people have felt that with the walking meditation. Many people have felt the exact opposite with the walking meditation, but it's experienced as unpleasant, then boredom or aversion, and then, and then tensions building, I don't like this, you know, I need to have much more, I need to have more stimulation. And pretty soon our mind is in search of something more interesting than this, than just stepping. Really nothing happened except a mind's train of reactivity. So we're jumping on that train, not intentionally, completely innocently every day. And that, that chain of becoming, that chain of, of, uh, of, of then getting obsessed with what's next, of getting somewhere, that basically fuels our life and leaves our nervous system really um, leaves us with an increasing sense of um, not okayness that there's something wrong. And once we've in, once we've landed in that view, then our whole identity gets built around about around. Um, that something's wrong and and then we become instead of just this light of experience this light of awakening we become a problem to solve which no one has ever found in real time i'll say more about this as we go along but suffice it to say it's useful to pay attention to these feeling tones and it can start as simple as that moment that you have um, back pain or knee pain to the extent possible see if you can attune to just the pleasantness of it if you can scan your body right now for anything that is that is slightly unpleasant and just feel the unpleasantness it won't kill you and feel the feel perhaps a sensation of pleasantness wherever that is there's usually something at least neutral or neither pleasant or unpleasant in the body something pleasant that you can tap into just to feel that this is pleasant And notice what happens when you just feel those feeling tones. And for once in the span of your day, you don't have to do anything about it or undo anything, fix anything or become anything. Just be with that pleasant. Now, sometimes pleasant, once you feel it, it morphs into unpleasant or unpleasant morphs into neutral, or neutral morphs into pleasant, or neutral morphs into unpleasant. It, it's changing conditions. But in any case, you will be cultivating the continuity of mindful attention and not running, running, running to the next experience. I had a period in my own practice where, and I, it was 
I let it go on too long. I have to admit I was young and dumb and full of myself and, and a little too much pride around being able to sit extended periods of time. But something happened in the middle of one of those sittings that, that helped me see the difference between that can be discerned for each of us, the difference between the inevitable periods of unpleasantness that we sometimes experience as pain. You know, pain is a kind of general descriptor to really unpleasant sensations. Pain doesn't actually exist as a thing or a place. It's kind of a superficial view. But if you come a little closer, you'll see that what we call pain is these very intensely unpleasant sensations. But don't believe anything I say, just keep checking it out. But I had a series of incredibly unpleasant sensations arising in my right knee. And it was, and my mind was pretty steady at the time. And I was, I was going to be, this was what was happening. I was following the instructions, pay attention to it. And so I started to um, let my, my attention started to light onto that experience of um, aching and, and burning. It just started burning. And then it, be, and I was using that soft mental labeling, burning, 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 stabbing, squeezing, vibrating. And it, it got, it was getting more as I paid attention to it, which it sometimes does it gets stronger. We never pay attention to anything in order for it to get less. If we do that, we're actually just feeding it. But if you, I was paying attention to it and it got really strong. And it got so strong that, but my mind at that particular moment was strong enough. I was well fed, I was well rested. And there was a lot of mindful, a lot of mental strength at that time. Not always a lot of mental strength. When you don't have mental strength, this is an important thing to remember, when your mental strength is low, and that's often when we're hungry or really tired, to try to stay with something that is really unpleasant will actually make your mind crash and wither. It's, not, it's actually not even wise. At those moments, you want to touch it, but move to something you can accommodate more easily. But in this case, I was able to really stay with it. I had good mental strength. and. And I was paying attention to it and I'm my I started to perspire and I was and it was just a full rush of intense pain, the likes of which I had never experienced in my life. But there was like a moment of insight in the middle of it that there was this very intense pain I'll use the word pain because that's our general word. There was a lot of pain. But my mind was not suffering at all. There was absolutely no mental reaction. And I, I, I began to sense, and each of us can do this in our own way, I began to sense that very kind of trite, re repeatable phrase that you may hear often, that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. You heard this before. Moments like this are inevitable in our life, not usually caused by sitting too long in one position, which was actually 
pretty much ignorant. The wise response at that time would have been to change my posture. However, that maybe I had to go through this to have that experience of seeing that each of us has the capacity to have a lot of pain and have our mind and not have it immediately fused with suffering. And it's really the suffering, the mental suffering, the mental reactivity that is at the heart of, of the Buddha's um, healing teachings is that they, they can't heal the physical pain, the inevitable pains of our life, but it can heal that mental suffering, that mental reactivity that is really the, the main cause of our feeling of distress and dissatisfaction. And that is within each of our capacity. And it starts by bringing attention to the, these moments of unpleasant, without turning it into a religion and being stupid about it, um, but, uh, but also bringing full attention to the, to the pleasant experiences so that doesn't lead us into that world of misplaced faith that something, some pleasure is going to make us permanently happy. That's just complete delusion. Instead, we can really take in the pleasure, let it feel the benefits of it in the here and now without having it put our mind condition our mind to be in a state of suspended happiness all the time. That's optional, completely optional. And you can be happy now, you can be well now. You don't have to wait until the end of the rainbow. As Thich Nhat Hanh says, there is, uh, there, there is no way to happiness, happiness is the way happiness of being conscious. So that's all I have for right now. And so hopefully you'll enjoy practicing with this range of different feeling tones. Shouldn't have to look too far to find them. So now that um, we're making a little transition to the sitting time. I want to invite you to forget everything you've heard up to this point. Don't try to remember anything. And don't try to forget anything either. Just let yourself be aware of the fact that you are aware here, that ultimate fact. And let that sense of being aware wash over you. Just, I think of it as a form of love, just the delight in being aware. Love of truth. And let your posture enter into that field of awareness of being aware and sense that it's that you're sitting intelligently, upright, relaxed, easeful, that you're not holding any particular excess tension, 
just checking the top of your head down to the tips of your toes. Tension cascading down your arms and legs. Just sensing if there's any place in the body that wants to just let go into the openness of your practice. And you might sense even right now as we start whatever the feeling tone is that's present in this moment. Is it pleasant? Unpleasant? If it's either of those, just make a little space for just that feeling tone as it is. It's neither pleasant or unpleasant, just sense that, hover. Now that you've settled into a a gentle stillness, Tension centered, body awareness, so close, so intimate that there's no separation between body and awareness. A kind of sameness. And as before, we continue to use as our support just this feeling of sitting, the contact points, or we use as our support the the alwaysness of our body's breath, a wonderful anchor for our attention because our body is always here, so a place to come back to, but also a place to refine our attention and this field of learning about pleasant, unpleasant, and somewhere in between. Just this moment, just this breath, this sitting body, resting in a way, in a state of lucid awareness. With the intention of including the body and breath, then the intention of being available to sounds, to the hindrances that we've spoken of, to anything else that arises. And from time to time checking what the valence is of whatever 
the presently arising experience? Is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant? Just a soft, alert, gentle, and precise awareness of this moment, just as it is, just as it has come to be. This is where our life is. When you realize you've been carried along by the one of those reactive patterns, celebrate the fact that you've awakened again and recognized. Sense the feeling tone of coming back into real time awareness. There's often I've experienced a little feeling jangled, but then often that unpleasant Feeling gives way to the pleasant feeling of being here. But it could be any different way. By no means should we judge having been caught, absorbed. We're much more practiced at being lost, living in virtual reality. This is a a rediscovery, this moment, this breath, this body. Twenty-five minutes more.
Occasionally checking, is there awareness now? What are you aware of? And what is the valence of the experience you're being aware of? Feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant. Neither pleasant or unpleasant. Let yourself register that the pleasant, the unpleasant, not ignoring the, the neither pleasant or unpleasant. Just this moment.
Once again, when you hear the sound of the gong, just be aware of hearing. We even register whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, neutral. After the sound, the sound begins to fade. You're ready to open your eyes. Be aware of that impulse and then the opening of your eyes. The arising of outer sight of seeing. Perhaps even notice whether that arises associated with a pleasant and unpleasant, neutral feeling. And then be aware of any other movements that you make in that transition. So the practice continues. I'm having one of those moments that I heard expressed on a sign at a meditation center in the East Coast, where it said, before you speak, determine whether your words will be an improvement on the silence. <laughs> makes it a little bit difficult to speak. <laughs> In any case, um, just in support of keeping our attention continuous, keeping our body energy in balance and uh, with appropriate movement. We've been sitting for a while. Let's do um, 13 minutes until we sit again, 13 minutes. We'll have a shorter sitting, shorter walking today, but enough to aerate your body a little bit. So please take care with the transition, do a little walking. We'll sit again at 20 minutes after the hour. So please continue continuously.
we continue having uh, activated our satipanya, our awareness wisdom, able to be our own authority about uh, how to navigate our sitting, being available to the different sense experiences, sensing periodically their feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, somewhere in between. We just continue reclaiming our heritage, reclaiming what David White calls enough. Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here. This opening to the life we have refused again and again until now, until now. I'll leave you in silence for about almost 30 minutes.
been a real pleasure sitting with you this afternoon. I'd like to take a few minutes for a little check-in. Any questions about working with feeling tone, with Vedana, um, comments? Um, and then I'd like to read you a poem to end the day, end the, this uh, module, I should say. And um, as always, just if there are any questions about anything you noticed in your practice or working with feeling tone, Kathy, please, thanks for breaking the ice. Uh, I would say that um, today was like one of the hardest days I can remember in terms of really the amount of attention it takes to notice these moments. Um, and yet I also think it's incredibly powerful. I, I see the, I see a glimmer of light um, with the knowledge that, you know, by, I don't wanna say breaking, you said breaking the chain, so I'll just use your expression by breaking, you know, the possible chain that could lead to all sorts of dramas, um, you know, this can be really powerful. I, um, we live next door to a family who has a, um, they have an autistic child who uh, runs around, uh, you know, for very good reasons, you know, making different noises. And before this week's retreat, I really was sort of um, aggravated by mm -hmm. it. And my whole um, approach to the noises and the family and the story has changed dramatically. Um, and, you know, it still irks me. Uh, you know, I, I can hear when they're coming up the steps and I kind of know what's about to happen. Mm. But um, but I really see the power in all of this um, as hard as I think it is to be in a place where you're noticing these very subtle um, transitions. Yes. Well, thank you. And it's precisely those kinds of situations that we all face where it's where the rubber meets the road is if we can meet some of those really chronically unpleasant things and see that there's a possibility of having it be unpleasant and not always suffering about it but it's you know that's a that's a tough assignment and just as far as the work that it takes to really track very carefully that we're developing here if you it's inevitable that you're going to miss most everything <laughs> but and but to be able to see enough to be able to have that to have that understanding dawn that there may be a difference between what you're experiencing and what your mind uh, proliferates about it so beautiful and uh, good luck <laughs> thank you good luck to all of us thank yes, you exactly stephanie please um, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for this. I just had a quick sort of question on noticing, um, kind of to piggyback off of Kathy, different thing, sort of the cliche, you're meditating and someone's cutting down trees, which was my experience mm. for this one. And then it stopped actually like halfway through. So I sort of had the noticing of the unpleasant and mm. then 
getting pleasant. Um, I guess my question is how to not become attached to either, like whether it's neutral, whether it's unpleasant, whether it's pleasant, what you're supposed to do. I mean, I don't, I guess, just notice what's arising, but I wondered if you could speak more to that. Um, gladly. Great, great question. You know, our point is not to to stop or delete or do anything about what's going on. It's mostly to, to help prevent us from, from adding suffering to what can be unpleasant and adding suffering to what can be pleasant. And the poem I'm going to read to you at the end is the potential for what happens when we hold on to the pleasant, try to hold on to it. And, and then the way it creates a little in pressure and then a whole proliferation of fantasy uh, so we're we're really just trying to not not extend our not have our reactions be so elaborate about the trees or whatever it is, and you know meet it and meet it wisely, meet it lovingly, but not um, not um, not dramatize, not because it's usually in the drama that the suffering occurs, and so we're just trying to minimize the minimize the suffering not minimize um that somehow sounds less making it yeah just not have as much suffering thank you thank you mary please thank you um i have a question um it's about sometimes my aversion gets so strong it's for me it's the end of the day and nighttime so i'm getting tired yes so my unpleasant gets to be the hindrance of aversion and i and i am going to meta and someone said earlier today that we're trying to do these as separate skills um but i found my my cup overflowed with unpleasant and i needed um something bigger as a tool well done. does that make sense yes well done you know generally we don't want to necessarily uh, provide a band-aid to stamp something out, you know, to replace um, meta with and use it to, to make something else go away, because then it, what you're still practicing then is aversion to aversion. But you but once you've worked with aversion and you realize that the the fire of it is so hot and the unpleasant is just proliferating, then at a certain point, all that we can do is is uh, the most merciful thing to do is to just provide ourselves with a little environment of kindness. And that may be to direct thoughts of kindness, but it also the kind thing may be to change channels to actually shift the stay conscious, but shift the attention to something in the same environment that may not be as difficult to bear as neutral or pleasant. And so a, a Sometimes it's, an, it's necessary to resource a little bit. And the problem with our usual way of resourcing is it's usually checking out or spinning out. It's, uh, it's usually distracting, but what we're trying to do is stay conscious, but, uh, but respond to how, how hard it is to bear whatever's happening. So it sounds like it was a, it doesn't sound like you were just using a band-aid it sounded like that was all that was left for you to do it was all that was left and i didn't yeah. use it for the whole time <laughs> yeah, that's fine thank you great thank you remy please last but not least sorry kyoko 
I can have Kyoko go. I mean, she she's well, it <laughs> depends. We'll see how long it goes. Maybe we can maybe Kyoko will come back. Thank you for everything. Uh, it was it's very um, mind opening. I just have a question. So I understand with some feeling tones, some feeling tones are stronger than others. And the stronger feeling tones are probably due to our strong conditioning over time, over all this, all, all these years for certain things. Not necessarily. Sometimes, okay. you know, a taste sensation can be exceedingly pleasant. Just almost inherent, almost, it's just completely pleasant and that that could be a function of being very hungry or having been deprived of that experience but it you experience it as very pleasant and so that wouldn't necessarily be some kind of long necessarily some kind of condition long conditioning it could be just the conditions of the present moment okay and, and for the unpleasant are, tones yeah for the unpleasant feeling tones does like if we continue to mindfully practice, does that get better as we practice? Like does the effect of those feeling tones for unpleasant feeling tones get no, better? No, those feeling tones in those feeling tones are really just neutral. They don't, they are really just tones that accompany every experience and will they have for your whole life and they will continue. Your reaction to them your liking, not liking, uh, proliferating about them may ease up a little bit. You may be able to have unpleasant and not have it become a big story or a big charge of suffering. The pleasant maybe won't lead you until to what this next poem I'm going to read you leads to. And the neutral you may be, you may notice brings you a great sense of peace rather than dullness and boredom. But that's over time. But the the actual feeling tones are just part of our our condition, our human condition. That's very reassuring. I think that's what I was looking for. Thank you. Sure. Kyoko, sorry. We'll hopefully we'll catch you another time. But meantime, I wanted to end today, and it will require that we go over a few minutes. But because it's a a little bit of a long poem, but I think it's worth reading, and it's illustrative of what happens when um, when our mind habituates to the idea of um, habituates to moving past the pleasant into the um, the life of desire and i read this because i, I it it was both um educational and funny <laughs> and this is from a poet named george bilger they sit around in the house, not doing much of anything. Here, I'm going to, excuse me. They sit around the house, not doing much of anything. The boxed set of the complete works of Verdi unopened. The complete Proust unread. The French cut silk shirts which hang like expensive ghosts in the closet and make me look exactly like the kind of middle-aged man who would wear a French cut silk shirt. The reflector telescope 
I thought would unlock the mystery of the heavens, but which I used only once or twice, and which now stares disconsolately at the ceiling when it could be examining the Crab Nebula. The 30-day course in Spanish, whose text I barely opened, whose dozen cassette tapes remain unplayed, save for tape one, where I never learned, where I never learned whether the suave American conversing with a sultry sounding desk clerk at a Spanish hotel about the possibility of obtaining a room actually managed to check in. I like to think that one thing led to another between them and that by tape six or so, they're happily married and raising a bilingual child in Sevilla or Terre Haute. Terre Haute, for those of you international, is in Indiana. But I'll never know. Suddenly I realize I have constructed the perfect home for a sexy Spanish-speaking astronomer who reads Proust while listening to Italian arias. And I wonder if somewhere in this teeming city, there lives a woman with, say, a fencing foil, gathering dust in the corner near her unused easel. A rainbow of oil paints drying in their tubes on the table where the violin lies entombed in the permanent darkness of its locked case next to the dusty chess set. A woman who has always dreamed of becoming the kind of woman the man I've dreamed of becoming has always dreamed of meeting. And while the two of them discuss star clusters and Cezanne, while they fence delicately in Castilian Spanish to the strains of Rigoletto, she and I will stand in the steamy kitchen fixing up a risotto, enjoying a modest cabernet while talking over a day so ordinary as to seem miraculous. So fortunately, we can cultivate an understanding of what our mind is doing, develop a sense of humor about it, not judge ourselves for proliferating about every which thing that we think will make us happy, but it's useful to notice how far afield we've gotten from these simple sense experiences where we actually live. So let's um, both enjoy reality and even enjoy the mind's proliferation of the virtual reality. <laughs> and. Uh, continue your practice moment by moment. Thanks so much. I'd uh, like to just invite you as we say goodbye during this period, just to hear each other's voices for a moment and say um, good afternoon and thank each other for your practice. Good evening. Good afternoon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Good afternoon. 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 Thank you. Love it. <laughs> nice one, Howie. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.